Lord, once again, we turn to Your Word. We have nowhere else to turn, so meet us here and give us Your grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Teaching teenagers to drive is at the same time a wonderful experience, a gracious reminder from the Lord of how we are to value building into them and through them for God's glory and for their maturity. On the other hand, teaching teenagers to drive can be a white-knuckle experience. Anybody in this room know anything about what I'm talking about? Stop! Slow! Go! Pay attention! Am I the only one? (laughs) Teaching teenagers to drive has valuable biblical insight-making experience. Learning how to walk around steps is a good one too. (laughs) It seems that the biblical authors had a sense of this stop, slow, go! Pay attention in their writing as well. Very often, they would use the word behold, which you have often heard me say, behold, look, see, pay attention. Because I'm trying to draw your attention to the fact that when this word, edu in Greek or Hebrew, hene, which we learned this morning, it's funny how great minds think alike, eh, Benji? When this word appears, the biblical author is trying to get you to pay attention. Something important is about to happen and you need to catch it. Recently, I was with one of my many law enforcement friends and he was talking about how you live your life not becoming a victim. And his key word was pay attention. Pay attention. Look around you. Be aware of your surroundings. Now, in the many places of God's Word, including the 52 verses we are going to parasail over tonight, a big idea is pay attention. Look what's going on. Look at what's happening. Pay attention. Let there be no mistake, in the three chapters ending with chapter 25 that we're talking about tonight, the big idea is be prepared for Jesus to win. Now, a few weeks ago, we passed through chapters 21 and 22 where Jesus was facing increasingly stiff opposition. They were definitely pushing back these hostile opponents. Then when we got to chapter 23, Jesus spoke directly back at them. He was going in their face as you know, a hypothetical teenage parent might do. Parent of a teenager might do. And He was telling them that they should pay attention to the one that they should have been carrying through Jerusalem on their shoulders. Now verse 24, chapter 24, is an extension of this warning that started in verse chapter 23. But it was a little more dramatic. And Jesus was saying in no uncertain 
terms that all the judgment is coming upon this generation because you have rejected your Messiah. Now, when we get here to chapter 25, most commentators and many Christians have considered chapters 24 and 25 to be the Olivet Discord. Jesus is standing on a hill right outside the city of Jerusalem called the Mountain of Olives, and he's telling them this. And he is continuing this idea, started in chapter 23, about warning, telling people to be prepared for Jesus to win, and he wants to catch your attention again. And so he tells several stories, all of which have the big idea, be prepared for for Jesus to win and pay attention. Now, there will be two things you need to see throughout these verses that we're going to look at tonight. We, those of us who trust the promises of God for us in Christ, are continually either referred to as servants or our life is described as one of service. We are required to be Christ's servants. And then the second big thing that you're going to see repeated over and over again is that there is judgment coming against those who refuse to trust the promises of God for them in Christ. Here described as serving Him. Now, I told you last week, I don't like talking on hell. This is not my favorite subject. And as I've been studying this week, what I've noticed is that I am not alone among preachers who don't like talking about hell. That's why I decided next week the whole sermon is going to be on hell because I have to get a week or two in there so that Matthew ends at Easter. I know. I am a preacher. What can I say? As much as I would love to excise hell from the Bible, I don't have authority to do that. Jesus didn't give it to me, and He talked about hell more than anybody else. I must serve and trust that God is wiser and more loving than I am. And if I, like Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders, elders am to preach the whole counsel of God, then I must echo what Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon said to his church he said if sinners be damned at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies and if they perish let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees imploring them to stay if hell must be filled let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for do you and i live that kind of life We must live that kind of life. You, Christian, and I, Christian, must be willing to do anything and everything to fight for a loved one or a near one to keep from going to the eternal fires. You are the means, humanly speaking, of hindering that person from hell. And this chapter that we're on tonight is finds as the bottom line, be prepared for Jesus to win. And while that may be good news for us, 
there are many of your loved ones and your near ones that that is not going to be good news for. And this means that you and I must be willing to do anything and everything you can to help people avoid the only fate worth fearing forever. And that's exactly what Jesus did right here. By the way, allow me to take an apologetic moment. I ran into a video online, and this was an English woman who was a TV reporter, and she hadn't been back to the town that she was born in for quite some time. In the meantime, there had been a large influx of immigrants going to that exact town. When she got there to the town, there was a march through the city protesting the fact that some one of their community was arrested not by under Sharia law, and they were protesting this. And so, as she was going through, she interviewed a man, and the gist of one of the things that he said is, you are going to hell. And to which she got very offended that this man would say that. As I was watching this, I thought to myself, what would she think of me? What would she say to me? And then I thought, well, what is the difference between this man at this protest saying to this woman, you are going to go to hell, and what I might say if asked the same thing? Here's the difference. You have to understand this difference. The difference between us and that man at the protest is Matthew chapter 25. The difference between us and that man is Jesus. Unlike the man who followed in a religion that glories in infidels going to hell, we plead with them to keep them from going exactly like our God did. Ezekiel 18, cast away from you all the transgressions you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die? Why do you want to die? Why do you want to go to hell? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Chapter 33, say to them, as I live declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I have pleasure that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Sometimes, when talking to a teenager or anybody else whose maturity level never gets beyond junior high anyways. Turn back. Turn back. Why do you want to die? Turn to the Lord and live. Jesus gave us Matthew chapter 25 in part so that we would have Ezekiel's words ringing in our ears so that Rather than protesting, we would seek the healing and the grace and the truth that will bring about the life of those who hear us. Now, of course, I'm speaking in human terms. It is God the Spirit that saves and not us. But we are His instruments. So tonight, we'll start where we left off last week at the end of chapter 24. 
starting in verse 45 and then continue through 25. Jesus is speaking and He says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom His Master has set over His household to give Him their food in their proper time? Blessed is that servant whom His Master will find so doing when He comes. Truly I say to you, He will set him over all His possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, huh, My Master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and on an hour that he does not know, and he will... Pay attention. This is a really nice phrase. Jesus is being really gentle here, and really kind-hearted. And will cut him in pieces. And put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus holds out to His hearers a carrot and a stick. This is one of the many passages that bring up the teachings of of rewards and punishments. And this is a shot over the bow of what we're going to read all the way through Matthew 25. But yes... Jesus did just threaten to cut them in pieces. Does that surprise anybody? Does that catch you off guard? It shouldn't. Number one, Jesus often uses phrases designed to catch your attention with startling truths so that you would stop your lazy eye gliding over the page and look up and pay attention. Pay attention. What is going on here? Jesus, what on earth are you talking about? And I do believe that's part of what's going on here. I think Jesus wanted to catch our attention as we're reading along. Cut them in in pieces. We've got to figure out what he's talking about. And he wanted you and me to see the dramatic reality, the horror, the awful end that hell is. Jesus wants to catch you off guard. And He wants to say something shocking because He wants you to pay attention and to be prepared for Jesus to win. And that His winning is not going to be good news for everyone. Including some of your loved ones. Including some of your near ones. Make no mistake. Hell is gruesome. We don't even have the language to describe how awful it is. And be suspicious of anyone who tries to soft sell it. Jesus continues, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. 
And then Jesus gives the punchline. Watch, therefore. The Greek translated into English, watch, therefore. Pay attention! For you know, know neither the day nor the hour. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Pay attention. Be ready. Use your resources in such a way that you don't stop paying attention. Because, my friends, it might be a while before Jesus returns. They probably weren't expecting Him to take 2,000 years. And who's to say it won't take another 2,000 years? I don't know when Jesus is coming back, do you? No, you don't. The emphasis is not on the fact that the brides fell asleep. The emphasis is on the fact that some were prepared. So, prepare. Get ready. But of course, that begs a really good question. How do we go about preparing? Well, the answer is be about your master's business. Okay, thanks, Greg. Well, how do I do that? I'm glad you asked. You know what? Jesus answered that question for us. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will, sell you, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here then you have what is yours. But his master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap what I have not sown, and I gather where I have scattered no seeds. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will be given in abundance. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." That's a hard parable to read. Because if you're paying attention to it, wow, it is heavy. But there are two key bits of dialogue. The story is simple enough. I think you all understand English well enough. You get the story. But there's two bits of dialogue that we have to grasp in order to get it. 
Verses 21 and 23 are basically the same. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. This was spoken to the servant who had got, received five talents and to the servant who received two talents. And they got the same commendation because they did basically the same thing with their individual abilities. Now, I can't prove it. I tried to look this up this week, but I bet this is where we get our word talent. You have talents, don't you? Are you hiding them under the rock? Or are you using them for the glory of God? But I'll take a side note. I just want to take a sidestep just for a moment because this is a good passage that teaches the relative difference between rewards that will happen. I'm, I believe there are some of you in this audience whose cars I'm going to be washing when we get to heaven because you're going to be that much closer to Jesus than I am. And I take that in all seriousness because of this passage. There are people who have various talents and they are rewarded based upon how they use them. And I also get that from 2 Peter 1, 5-8. For this very reason, add to your faith, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self uh, yeah, I got it, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 1, 5-8. The point is not how many talents you got. The, The point is not how big your pie is. The point is, are you using your talents and are you increasing the size of that pie? That is what catches God's attention. That is what is rewarded. Now, again, this comes because of the grace of God at work in us. But Jesus is obviously talking about something here. And we need to understand what he's saying. Paul, for example, was able to claim that he was the worst of sinners in Timothy. And I believe that he was able to do so because he started off his Christian career with a pretty big circle. But what had he been doing? He had been murdering Christians. He wasn't using his talents to the glory of God. He was using his talents for the glory of him. And that's why he was able to call himself the worst of sinners. Also because I hadn't been born yet. But then we get to the second bit of dialogue that we need to catch here. And that's verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, Take the talent from him, the one who is slothful and wicked, and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Again, this idea of loss and reward, of judgment and blessing. As opposed to the two servants who did their best with their talents that they were given, the third servant was lazy and had what he had, what he did have taken away from him and awarded to the first servant. What? That's not fair. 
Evidently, Jesus thought it was just fine. And actually, he's kind of the judge. So, you know, if he thinks something is okay, then it is. But it gets worse than that. Not only might we say that it's not fair, but look at verse 30. Jesus continues, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The weeping will represent the pain and the anguish and the gnashing of teeth will represent regret and anger. Because if you will not be found, you will be lost. If you will not be found, if you don't want to be found by the hound of heaven, then you will be lost. Be prepared for Jesus to win. Now the real point of this particular passage is not the diversity of rewards and punishments. I think that is something that's being taught. But the real point is that you and I need to be about the kingdom business. We need to be doing the work to advance God's kingdom rather than our own. That is what Jesus set up for us in the parable of the ten virgins. Your primary drive and mine ought to be the glory of God in making of disciple making disciples, using our talents so that others will see that we desire something other than that which can be touched. Be about your master's business with all of your time, your talent, and your resources so that we will advance the Lord's interests and He will. He will bless us. He will reward us. He will glorify us. Oh my goodness. These are concepts that that are hard to even talk about because every one of us knows that we're really not worth it. We're not deserving. That lesson's in two weeks. Stay tuned. Be about your master's business because he continues In verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne and before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one... I'm sorry. um, From one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right but the goats on His left. Um... There we go. I'm sorry, I got lost for a second. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then we will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer then, Truly I say to you, you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This has to blow your mind. This is an amazing passage not least for which because he calls us brothers wow 
the person that you snubbed today, the person you cursed in your heart on the road today, might very well be a brother of the King of the universe. How do we serve kingdom purposes than our own? How do we be about kingdom business? We feed the hungry. We give drink to the thirsty. We visit those who are homosexual AIDS patients or activists in the local homosexual agenda. We bless those who work at Planned Parenthood. We visit the person who cannot get out themselves. As it has been said from this pulpit many times, God works, therefore we can work. And God works, therefore we must work. And at the same time, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that if you're doing these things, you may not make piles of money. Some of your relationships might suffer. You won't collect as much stuff. Well, maybe stuff won't mean as much to you either. If you care for the widow and the orphan, you won't be quite as rich as if you didn't. But you just may find that you're much more prosperous. If you live about the kingdom business, you will be prepared for Jesus to win. But this is not the last word. This is not how Jesus ends the chapter. Let's get to the end. The King of the universe, the Creator, personal Creator God, will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. They will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal reward. There will be those who refuse to prepare. Some of them are your near ones. Some of them are your loved ones. But make them crawl over your dead body to the gates of hell. Make them make the leap with your arms wrapped around their ankles. There will be those who don't pay attention. Who are unwilling to see the world as it is. But there will be no mulligans. There will be no more makeup exams. There will be no extra credit. There will be no second chances. Well, that's not fair. C.S. Lewis said one time, I believe that if a million chances were likely to do good, they would be given. 
but it doesn't take much of a rocket scientist, he continues, as my words, to know that the wise, loving God of the universe would know when enough is enough. Lewis also said in the greatest fiction book ever written, Till We Have Faces, Die before you die. There is no chance afterwards. God knows a million chances won't help. That is why He gave your near ones and your loved ones you. You and I are their chance. And that's why He gave us Matthew chapter 25. So that you and I would be prepared for Jesus to win. And we would go out there and help others to be prepared as well. Hell is an eternal reality that is more awful than you can dream in your worst nightmare. And we should not mention it without a tear in our eyes. But we should mention it often to those who need to hear.